Welcome to episode 72 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast and we've joined uh, once again by Darren Hill and Darren we were speaking off air about uh, NBA All-Star Weekend but is it something that gets you excited or have you sort of uh, more pine for the old days when maybe it was a little bit more competitive uh, amongst the players than what it, what it is now? Well, I used to get really excited, you know, when the, the Milwaukee Bucks, especially from Bucks fans, you know, you, you wouldn't really have much to look forward to throughout the season. So you kind of hoped that maybe, you know, Michael Red would get invited to a three-point contest or even, you know, back in the day, Craig Hodges, you know, who who was drilling it. Or, well, they talked about the year that Brandon... he hit 19 in a row one year. In the, that's still a record in the three-point contest. Oh, yeah, he could, little Hodge, could could fill it. And um, yeah, the year that Brandon Jennings made the skill contest, <laughs> exciting stuff, exciting stuff. But, well, I remember uh, Tony Parker winning the. No, we've um, so. we, we... You? see that's what I thought. I guess I was going to open my um, it's a segue to something I want to talk about tonight, which is the the Bucks obviously being out of purgatory for the first time in something about thirty years, and you know when when you're lamenting the fact that Davis Bertans doesn't make the All Star game. You probably know that you're in purgatory, where you're trying to count your guys and if they're invited to All Star Game Weekend or not. I go, yeah, yeah. we've had Rolly reversal for the first time in multiple decades, so um, that's the first sign, Daz. It's well, first twenty sign. twenty-one straight years the Spurs have had a player uh, make the All Star team. So uh, I'm I'm Come seeing on, that's that's really? where Spurs fans are at now, Daz, and we'll get to this in a moment. Like we're just counting the records and seeing what records we can maintain. Uh, as as this yeah. inevitably grinds to a halt, uh, as it as yeah. it appears it will do in the next couple of years. Uh, so, but look, I've watched a little bit of the of the All Star festivities. Uh, watched the three point shootout today. Joe Harris won that, and uh, pretty underwhelming uh, dunk contest, which Diallo from. Okay, so won, but uh, it just made me pine for the the great dunk contest that we saw between Aaron Gordon and, and Zach Levine from uh, 2016. So that's three years ago now. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but um, so that was three years ago. And that I think you should just watch that. Maybe they should just get everyone in the arena, does, and just show that on on a, on a video feed because that would be more entertaining than what I've seen from the dunk contest in in the years. Those. It's a very good call. Those dunks still make me giggle. Like they, right? Those those dunks, you just they still to this day, right? Make you make you go. Just that that awe factor. Like you just didn't think human bodies could could do what they did. So yeah, tip of the hat to Gordon and Levine for breathing life back into it. But I suppose I'm also going to lay a little bit of blame on them, perhaps falsely giving us hope that they could resurrect this sorry sack contest. And yeah, just I, I fear that it's a uh, it's a downward spiral. Like, I don't know, Daz, like what's going on with the, there's like this lasers and this introduction, like they're, did you see the introduction with the guys on the podiums and they, they do this dramatic, you know, 180 turnaround to face the camera. Like they're, you know, welterweight fighters about to go into a battle Royale or something. It just, I'm like, you know, John Collins. Everyone's <laughs> like, who? Like, no, they're trying to. I guess they're trying to bring a show aspect to it because you haven't got. See, back in the day, you had some big names. You didn't have to hype up Dominic Wilkins versus Michael Jordan in the dunk contest. Whereas now, no. I think you do have to hype it up a little bit for people to get excited about Dennis Smith Jr., John Collins, uh, you know, Miles Bridges, and Diallo in in the dunk contest. Like it's a it's a little bit like casual NBA fans wouldn't even know who those players are. So it's it's not like that back in the day, as I say when the big stars and they, there was more big names in the three point 
uh, contest today than there were in the dunk contest. Yeah. So, and I've got a I've got a sneaking suspicion that the the slight edge of competitiveness we saw in the All Star game last year is not going to be present tomorrow. We'll wait and see if that's the oh. case. But I've just got a sneaking suspicion that we're going to go back to the old uh, the, the 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 darker days of, of the you know, previous years where um, so where I, there wasn't much competitiveness know, at all. This is probably the, the least consequential debate we'll get into in all of all of our 72 episodes, right? <laughs> is how competitive will the all-star game be? But um, now being a member of the NBA elite for all of 57 games, right? Where Giannis was a captain and Giannis, I pretty sure won the draft just in, t- in terms of sheer entertainment value and barbs and, you know, jibes at, you know, tampering and the rest of it. But, um, and, and, and Vegas, there's a line on this, right? Giannis's team is, I think, six or six and a half point underdogs. But I think, head to your bets, Daz, he has a strategy. You know what his strategy is? Remember two years ago, Giannis was dunking everywhere and grabbing, <laughs> grabbing rebounds and running, like, full speed. So what Giannis did this year, Daz, right? He just drafted all the first-timers. And so he's like, he wants Kemba, the hometown boy, who's going to be open all day long and you draft all the first timers who want to try and just make an experience. And you know, where they're bouncing babies on their knee, this has the day to remember. So you watched as you watched a little bit of, you know, Giannis has that little bit of, you know, it just might annoy the fuck enough out of the Brown and company where he's actually trying like watch him, watch him sort of elbow I'm not someone sure he for will. a rebound. That's, that's the thing, Daz. I I'm don't not, know. I, I think Giannis has got his eyes on a bigger prize than uh, team Giannis v team LeBron this year. I just say it's a non-zero probability that Giannis and, and the gang is going to come out trying to trying to I don't know put the old men into his grave or something metaphorically, Daz. So uh, look, we'll, we'll know. I mean, we'll that was see, the thing we'll last see. year. We yeah. knew. 30 seconds into the game, you went, okay, this has got a different feel. And it wasn't Game 7 NBA Finals, but it wasn't Summer League. You know, it was somewhere yeah, in between yeah, those two. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, let, let's hope that... Uh, anyway, you're right. Let's hope you for, I think for three and a half... I think for 40 minutes, we're going to get, you know, uh, backboard dunks and, you know, all kinds of airball three-pointers. But um, I, I just, yeah, I think the fact that, you know, Russ, Russ and Joel Embiid are paired in the same team and LeBron just got all of his pals. I think all the, you know, Team Giannis might get into a brawl with itself. Well, Russ <laughs> got LeBron... traded away for Ben Simmons, so he's going to be pissed. So he might, he <laughs> might right. come out and just... I know. So Giannis <laughs> drafted Ben off. Simmons despite LeBron, and then at the end of the draft, Giannis capitulates but required Russ come back and trade. So, uh, yeah, anyway, so, look, hopefully there will be a, a, an entertaining moment or two, if nothing else. Hopefully they keep the microphones in front of Shaq and Charles Barkley and, and just the um, you know the takes of these guys at least are giving about the league. So yeah, so yeah, so hopefully they keep Kenny Smith and Shaq and Chuck talking if nothing else, but because uh, they were quite entertaining this week as well. Well, the Bucks have been in news so, too. We've uh, Sydney, I don't know if you heard it. with Sidney Moncrief uh, coming up for the uh, the Hall of Fame as well as uh, Sir Sid. So what what were your thoughts on that? Um, with him, uh, Chris Webber, and I can't remember the third player's name that's been nominated off the top of my head. Well, there was like 13 nominations, weren't oh, there? there okay. were four well, I coaches. saw the headline through. Bill Fitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marcus Johnson's even gotten uh, a nod. So look, Sir Sid just had his, like so many players back in that era, right? Just had, he got his career cut short. He had a couple of knee injuries and 
suddenly he was the you know this um, this all NBA two way player, right? He was kind of like the Kawhi of that era, like maybe not kind of you know Finals MVP level, but you know just an absolute lockdown fender. He was a complete nemesis. But his career ended really early because he had knee injuries. He almost had to retire basically at age 30. So from a Hall of Fame perspective, his career was just too short. And at the same time, right, there's all these guys played three and four years of college. So, you know, mostly most of them played four years of college. So I, I hope they do loosen the Hall of Fame requirements, requirements a bit. Look, Sid, it's a bit of a season. It was just really short. So, so we'll see. Look, I'm not too uh, – I don't get too high or too low about that. I like that the NBA is a lot more inclusive than – that Major League Baseball, who's famously um, opaque and political because of baseball's had all their steroid stuff. So I like that NBA is a little bit more inclusive. So, um, I mean, what's the harm, right? They want to celebrate, you know, greatness, even though if greatness was only, say, five or six years long. Well, how much did you see? How much did you see Moncrief, though, Daz? Tons. So how Tons, good yeah, was he? This was... The, the legend of him is as a defender. Like, how good was he as as a defensive player? And how would he translate into those games? So, so he didn't have the outside shot, right? So he'd be like the... What would he be an equivalent of? Um, uh, that's what I'm saying. He's Kawhi-like. Maybe he's not... He wasn't Marcus Smart style, because Marcus Smart's like that bulldog. So who would be your rangiest... Um, six foot four, six foot five, lockdown. Gary, Gary Payton like he was actually more Gary Payton like on defense. Just really long limbed, super agile. You just could never get around him, right? And then in that era, what was it was also very physical, right? Dad, so he had to, well, he he had to fight check, through yeah. everything. There was no switching back then. He could hand check and grab. So he was also quite strong and wiry. So he has, he was Gary Payton, probably a level a tick below Gary Payton. That's be a dis, dismissive to Gary. So that style, Daz, like in your face, very rangy. Um, but his offensive game was probably more almost a little DeRozan like. So he was very mid range, you know, um, mid range jumper guy. So it's just a. But he was a leader and a pro and just just a rugged sort of player. Getting back in the eighties. So he'd always be matched up, and he would, you know, he would either shut down Ainge or Dennis Johnson. He'd be he'd be the one trying to um, defend Julius Irving, um, and then he'd be on, you know, occasionally if, you know, if um, if Bird was going off, they put, you know, they put Marcus on a big, let Marcus try to battle as much as he could against Kevin McHale, and and Sid would go around and chase Larry Bird. So that's what I remember is he'd be he'd be defending Julius Irving and Larry Bird. Back when the Bucks were basically the third or fourth best team in the well, they, NBA, the forgotten team <laughs> like, of the year, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, because you had the Lakers, Celtics, Philadelphia, and then the Bucks were sort of always butting heads with the Celtics and Philadelphia. And if they got past the Celtics, then Philadelphia would take them out, and vice versa. Crazy when you think they, they averaged like I want to say like fifty-five wins over like a seven-year period. Now. So they weren't just okay; they were they were really really good. It just so happened that you know. These, the, the, Top twenty all-time players were all in their in their peak. So, look. So as a, as a young fan, like you know, everyone had, you know, even my fantasy team, right? Is the you know Sir Sid the front of the you know Sports Illustrated? You know, when you're a little upstart team and you don't get the publicity, right? Of the Boston, the Boston's and the LAs and the Philadelphias. You know, the fact that the Milwaukee team was so so competitive, and occasionally there were years when we made the Eastern Conference Finals and knocked out, you know, a terrific Celtics team or a terrific Sixers team. So. You know they were they were right there, just a half step beneath them, 
in terms of right, just the, the top end talent. But um, that's what made me an NBA fan. hundred percent. It was, it was all about Sir Sid. He was what made me an NBA fan. So he was like the, the Bucks leader, you know, back in 82, 83, when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. So, well, if you anyway, want to go I appreciate back, the shout-out. Yeah. Well, if you want to go back on YouTube, they do show some of the games from the uh, 82 when the, the Fo-Fo-Fo uh, playoffs that uh, and the only team that take games off Philadelphia was Milwaukee, and there's some really good games from that series uh, that I've watched um, on, on YouTube. So if, you, if you're feeling nostalgic about those teams, even though they ultimately lost that, that series, um, you can go back and check out that, those games because uh, with, with Marcus Johnson and, and Sidney Moncrief yeah. and others uh, in that, in that yeah. team, the Milwaukee team. So, but we'll move on. We'll move on the matters more present, Daz. Uh, we're going to look at the Western Conference tonight. We looked at the Eastern Conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at the West. We're going to start with, with my team, the San Antonio Spurs, and then we're going to sort of branch out and look at our predictions and, and teams that might have disappointed or surprised us. Um, San Antonio are probably about where we thought they were. Um, and the reason I want to talk about them is I, I've... I've supported the Spurs now since 89, I think it was, basically from early in David Robertson's career. And every year, Daz, since I started supporting them, I came into the season with some expectation that they would compete for a title. And I think there's only been like three seasons in that time that they haven't won 50 games. Like they've just been consistently up there, had the five titles, obviously a ridiculous run since 99. Uh, with Greg Popovich. This was the first season I can ever remember sporting the Spurs where I came into a season and was just accepting of the fact that we are not going to be a contender. You know, we, at, at absolute everything goes right, we might sneak into the top four seed in the Western Conference. And maybe, you know, sneak into the second round. If everything breaks right, Western Conference falls, but we're not, there's no way we're going to win a title this year. So I'd accepted that. And then we went on a run. Well, at least as I thought I'd accepted that. Because then we went on a run in December. And we're the best team in the league. Like, you know, the, you pick a metric, they were number one in terms of their offense. And there was the famous stat during December where um, cleaning the glass keeps keep offensive stats on every part of the floor. And the Spurs were ranked number one in offense on every part of the floor. And they were about number nine defensively. So the defense still wasn't on an elite level, but it was good enough to keep them afloat. And as I started talking myself into uh, the Spurs contending again, yep. and I may or may not have even put a little uh, bit of my hard-earned cash on them at 67-1 to 1 to win the title. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, it promptly... Daz and Daz stroke reckons... That's beautiful. Well, and then well, I'm going to interrupt you and say I remember well, there was there was a couple of there was an epic. I know you didn't I think you went one and one, but I'm telling you of our. If I, it's hard because it's been actually very entertaining as most NBA seasons are. But does those two Spurs Oklahoma City games, mm. right? That I remember being in the car. It's like total confession here. I was driving driving home, and I'm like I, I'd gotten home and I was listening to it on, on audio. And the game was so compelling. I stopped and parked to watch on, to watch on my phone to watch NBA on, on League Pass on my phone in the car outside the house up the block, so I didn't have to come home to watch the end of Spurs OKC because it was so compelling. So no, you're right. So I know it, you, there was a time. I, just, I think it was a uh, fifteen 
15 or 20 game stretch where for that stretch, your Spurs are the number one offense in the league, right? And, oh, you know, again, no Bucking, points. again, that's why my preseason prediction I was looking back to, and my only question was, which was how much, how much fun is Pop going to have, right? Where um, he's lost his guardian angels, he's lost, you know, Pop and, and uh, sorry, but Manu and Tony have moved on, obviously, and then he's got this kind of, a, I don't know, addition by subtraction by, by kind of getting rid of Kawhi, and I thought it was just such an unbelievably coaching, uh, just a huge challenge this year, right? I thought he actually might have fun. And so what I, again, as, an, as a non-fan, what we've seen is the fact that they are they are basically doing, you know, Pop's tongue and he says he hates the three-pointer, thinks it's cueing the game. He kind of believes it, and he kind of doesn't, right? Because your 2014-15 team shot all kinds of threes. But, um, but to watch them, there's number one in the league in three-point field goal percentage, right? And to watch that team just so unlikely, so unlikely efficient, and so it just makes it so satisfying, like watching a, like watching a sushi chef, you know, slice mm. up the, the sashimi. Just watching coach, watching coach Pop, do what he does with you know, let's be honest, a whole bunch of B level talent, is very, very, very satisfying as a, as an outsider. But um, well, the but no, you're on the rodeo, great, but yeah, since the, since the rodeo road trip, well, January oh, clicked over, and the defense oh. has just been abominable. And it's so hard Daz. to watch a Spurs team, Daz. It's really been since the Raptors game. They, I think they built everything up that Raptors game. They had a massive win over the Raptors. And they just... DeMar DeRozan hasn't been the same since. But I think the entire team just hasn't quite had that same edge since. I think they lost their edge a little bit after that game because it was such a big game for the, for the franchise. So uh, I came back to reality pretty quickly, Daz. Uh, so that's why we're, we're going to... You're going to talk me through because you've been through it. And, and you're sort of... We're passing each other, Daz, on trajectories here. So I'm on the way down and you're on the way up. So... Uh, I mean, I can sort of talk you through things, and we've we've talked a little bit about it this year, haven't we? Where I've said, you know, DJ Wilson, that those sort of players are now because you're a contending team and because you've got good, really good coaching. Those sort of players are going to come out, and I think Don, Dante Divincenzo will do something similar next next year. I think you're going to see that sort of player development. Um, so there there are things you're going to enjoy as being a contending team that you don't when you're sort of in that middle. But talk me through that. So what are some of the things, and you've probably seen some signs of, of stages that I've already gone through this season. Um, I'm still in denial probably stage at the moment. But what are, what are the, the stages that you go through as your team sort of enters that purgatory of the middle of the NBA? Well, I can't tell you what it's like to enter it because we've been inside of it for so long. But right, it's, it's you, you Usually is um, it begins, you know, say in that September October um, time frame when it's you know preseason, and it's just un- it's that um, wide-eyed optimism where you think of you're watching your YouTube videos, you're looking at the you know the the clips of your, your recent draft pick who was probably number seventeen, and you're you're dreaming of God if everything falls right, you know what? Yeah, fuck yeah, you know what? If everything falls right. We could upset someone in the second round, right? So you kind of talk yourself into it. And so that's where it begins with this, you know, trying to imagine, you know, how terrific, you know, Brid Forbes will be and how, to, how amazing, you know, um, you know, Jason Smith might be coming off the bench. So it's, it starts with a little bit of unbounded optimism. Uh, well, everyone starts O and O. That's how I felt yeah. this year. We all start O and O in November. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, look, I guess as the year goes on, I sort of joked at the beginning, but you start going right where you have those little streaks, right, where you'll hit a you'll hit a skid, and you'll not want to watch one minute of basketball, right? Because you go, you instantly go, oh my god, oh my god, it's the beginning of the end, and you're like, f this, and you're like, you know, you want to join the Twitterverse and do a whole bunch of expletive laden, you know. Of, anger towards something like it has to be the referees or DeJunte's injury. Like there's got to be some external reason why this is all going bad. Well, like, let me stop the you absolute, there. Well, that, yeah, the denial that. Stage. So this yeah. is what happened. Yeah. So we start the season and the Spurs have a very proud record that since 1999 with only, and as the start of the season, I think it was at 48 days we had been under 500 since yeah. 1999. Yeah. So we were holding on to that record at the start of the season. And then we lost the game to Memphis at, at I think, when we were 11 and 11. So that, that dropped us to below 500. And then we lost next to him and ended up 11 and 14. And Daz, I was pissed off for a fortnight about that missed call at the <laughs> end of the Memphis game. <laughs> you were. So that's the other point. Things linger, right? Or, oh, if only, because there was this, if only, for this because of I, and I've been living my life in my car because of this crazy commute with my job. But um, it was um, on my on my return from work, it must have been, I'd gotten this, I, I didn't see the game, but I had seen a, an expletive-laden, like, a Facebook message from you or a text message around, just, how, it was the box. You told me how dirty the bucks were. They're a bunch of dirty, <laughs> dirty mongrels. I'm like, what? Brooke Lopez in you. Like, who's dirty? And it was just a raw mother. And they're like, oh, okay, the Bucks outscored the Spurs by 13 in the fourth quarter, you know, to win by five or whatever it was, right? So the, the Bucks went on some, some huge run, and your your team, who in your mind was still still the better team, was like, shit wasn't going their way. And so, you know, a hard foul is suddenly, you know, looking like uh, Steven Jackson in the in the malice in the palace stuff. So that's what happens in purgatory, right? Your highs, your highs are irrationally high and your lows are irrationally low. And this is a, there's a little denial, there's a little blame. Like it must be the referees. It must be the fucking call. It must be that stupid. It must be the Boston mystique, you know, following us around. So there's a, there's a lot of that goes on early, early. And so you haven't quit, you haven't quite hit acceptance yet. Have you? Or I guess maybe maybe you have hit acceptance. Oh, the radio oh. road trip's been <laughs> me bringing me back yeah. to acceptance pretty pretty fast. Yeah. I've got to tell you. And then I speak to my best friend, a good friend of yours as well, as a Golden State fan. And I, when I talk to him about basketball, yeah. I say that's how I, this is how I used to talk about basketball. <laughs> well, no, I actually want to come back to that because I've 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 been getting my head around. We'll probably talk about Kevin Durant and the Dubs. We talk about the West again, but I'd I'd be curious to what you know the hardcore Warriors fans like. The question would be: Is this actually that fun? Like, is it really, really? Is this really fun to have your team be like what Las Vegas, whatever the odds are, some ridiculous inverted odds, right, to win the win the championship? Right. I'd, I'd, don't answer that now, but I'd be curious yeah, to, answer, to, yeah, come, we'll, to come we'll come back, back to, to that, it, right? Yep. You know, I, I think he would pretend to think it's great just to try and, you know, you know, he's also votes, votes liberal <laughs> unapologetically. He's a bit of, anyway, that's an unfair digression. But, um, but look, so, um, 
so you go through that angry phase where the highs are high, the lows are low. You're looking for any reason to believe. What's different about your purgatory, though, is you have a, you know, a top, let's call them top five of all time coach. Where that's that's the trick for you because you have reason to believe. Yeah, but you have he's reason to believe. He's nearing the end too. Like we're we're probably he is, he maybe is. a year, two years, maybe six months. Who knows? That's right. That's right. So. Look, you're kind of basically entering the era of what's going to happen quickly, which is you know, you're looking for player development. So you're looking for reasons to go, oh, my God, oh, my God, please don't trade Derek White or, right, you know, you know whatever it is. It's, oh, my God, Jakob Pertl's finally putting it together. He had back-to-back games of double-doubles. You know, you sort of you just hold on for, for dear life, for signs of life, or, you know, for signs for the next, you know, um, you know, top 100 player to kind of emerge from the depths of your of your roster, and and of course, you know, you're, you're going to be certainly looking at your draft picks, right? So you know, and you know, of course, you have know, Dante versus versus Lonnie Walker for a while, but so you you know, your 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 year will be punctuated with you know, um, even without the Golden States, who are going to have a pretty much a cakewalk to the championship. You know, purgatory is basically you know looking at player development. So well, um, that's the other thing for but, me. I mean, yeah. because the Spurs, the only team the Spurs have lost to in the last two plays is Golden State. So I'm now trying to get my head around. We're not going to beat. There's probably six, seven teams in the Western Conference the Spurs aren't going to beat. But that's a in hard a seven thing. game series. You mean? Yeah, that's a hard thing for me to get my head around, as because I'm talking myself into. Yeah. we can beat yeah. Denver. We can beat Houston. We can beat. Okay, yeah. so whoever it might be. Yeah. And there's a rational yep. part of me that says, have you been watching what they're doing on the, the defensive end? And that's going to, going to be exacerbated in the playoffs. Yes, I've, I've texted you. Like, what's, weird about, what's weird about San Antonio is what my – again, I, I watch it again. I get glimpses or partial games. Or I'll watch a condensed game if something's interesting. So tell me if I've got this wrong, right? So you got your – You've got your defensive system and your defensive talent, but what what has so stood out to me, and again, two two gigantic caveats. You see much more of it than I do, and I don't have the data in front of me. But what I see, like in the, I think I saw them against Portland, and it was actually New Orleans, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, yes, the transition defense is appalling, and transition defense for me is awareness and effort. And I go, how does a Greg Popovich team with still, it's actually I trust he's got really good coaching, right? How does a Greg Popovich team let dunks happen off of made baskets? No, what like, I'll, like, I'll tell you, I'll give you an so example. I've seen your transition D. Because Pop, so my Pop actually addressed it as yeah. well. Oh, so they, okay. what their scheme is, because they said, is it tied to effort? And he said, no, it's not tied to effort. He said, it's just tied to making bad decisions and not understanding the system. Right. So what their system is, and I, I'm guessing most times, they just go straight back, crowd the lane, so you go, you run straight back to the key, essentially, and then you branch out and find the shooters. And a lot of times they, they're going back, and then you've got two guys going to the same shooter. So Pirtle and, you know, for argument's sake, Forbes will run out to the corner to a shooter, and the guy's either wide open for a dunk or they just kick an extra pass away and, and there's another guy wide open for three. So it's just little things like that. No, it, it may only be little tweaks to their transition defense and you may find there's a little bit of a a little bit of a change in that. I mean, they do play uh, 
Toronto straight out of the All-Star. Maybe there's going to be a nice bookend between those two games, and that's the game that brings the Spurs back to a little bit more of... Um, yeah. You know, a little bit more engagement on this, <clears throat> particularly on the defensive end. The offense has held up pretty well. It hasn't been playing as well as what it did in that stretch. Um, but then so, you're gonna, so you're going to, yeah. So we finished. You're going to finish this road trip, and what's going to happen, right? This is you know another symbol of purgatory. Is you're going to be now torn internally as a fan. Are you going to um, check Tankathon and talk yourself into the you know? the number 12 draft pick that might turn into the number five draft pick, or are you going to look or, or are you going to spend your time looking at, gosh, if we get in the number seven seed looking for matchups, like that's where you're going to vacillate. And that's what sucks about it. Cause you're going to be in two minds. Do I believe and go, can we be that seven seed who, when things fall right with the right matchup, we can be disruptive. And suddenly we got something, a whole bunch of confidence and momentum and, you know, everything's clicking or, you know, you know, fuck it. That's still not going to happen. So let me talk myself into the guy from New Mexico State who can jump. You know, that's where well, that's what purgatory. That's what last the next year I was games. in. Yeah, last year I was in the ladder yeah. camp because as soon as the Spurs yeah. fell out of the playoffs, I was straight on the tankathon, and it took me I think fifteen draft sims before the Spurs got the number one pick. So which I thought was pretty good. <laughs> I was happy with that. This <laughs> year I'm I'm in the former camp, and I'm like, yeah. we can beat Denver. Just, we just got to sn- we got to get yeah, Golden State in that I'm with in you. that eight. So we can beat Denver. They they're ripe for the picking in the first round. And if we beat Denver, well, we we've already seen we can play OKC pretty tough. You know uh, who knows? And then hey, could Golden State finally get some injury luck against them? You know, so see, that's right. It doesn't that's take right. long because no, it it's doesn't. hard, Daz. When you when you're so used to success, and don't forget, this is a team, Daz, that's been written off. You know, through the years of support yep. the Spurs, written off. I remember in yep. 2010, first round exit, and that was probably the other time I was ready to say, well, I think the run's over. And then they went four years in a row and got the one seed for four years in a row and won one title and, of course, could very easily have been two even three titles yeah. if yep. different things break break differently for them. So, um, so that's where it's hard to sort of finally accept no, this is it now. Like this is, you know, this this is going to be the end. This is now the the beginning of the end. And who knows? You know, you might still be a forty mid forty so team. But as we record episode seventy two, seventeenth of February, you know, the Spurs have a a reason for optimism. They're twenty four nineteen against the West, which is taught, you know fourth best record basically in the conference. So you know, Golden State twenty five and eleven, Denver's twenty four and ten, Oklahoma City six games over at twenty one and fifteen, then you guys twenty four and nineteen. So you, know, you get fighters fighters chance, Daz. So. Well, the funny thing is they've they've struggled against the East. They've lost some lost to the Bulls, lost to Charlotte at home, uh, lost to Orlando, lost to Miami. So they've just lost to these middling yeah. Eastern Conference teams that you would have expected to be cannon fodder. Um, but but they've actually has played better against uh, you know had a win against Golden State. Uh, albeit a bit of a week in Golden State on that particular night, but uh, you know, win against Denver uh, also. So you're right, they've done okay. At their best this year, you can see it coming together and you can see what Pop's trying to do. But by gee, Daz, at their worst, um, it is it is very, very the defense. The defense is the worry. Yeah, that's right. You can put up points, but you can't be allowing a 111 or whatever they allow, 112 per game. 
that's just not going to get it done. No, yeah. and the away form, yeah. the, the thing where I think we'll fall down eventually, and we will move on to another team, I think, in a second, but um, their home form has been really good, and I think they're going to continue to be a very good team at home, but when they play away, because they rely on their role players so much, the guys like Bellinelli and Bryn Forbes uh, and Bertas, they're just not quite as good at either end of the court away from home. Yeah, And I yeah. think that's what ends up catching up with the Spurs uh, yeah. and what will end up catching up with them. But I'll tell you what, Derek White has... You talk about, you know, watching development of young players and Derek White's been a joy to watch this year. He's been really... And he was playing some really good basketball before he got injured and even to the point where Pop just said on the struggles of the radio road trip we miss Derek White it's that simple and I guess that says something now about where the franchise is at the fact that yeah, a guy yeah. that is a second round draft pick in the late 20s is such an important player and I mean this is a guy Daz, that four or five years ago still would have been warming the end of the bench and probably waiting until year three or four before yeah. making a real impact this team. So that that's where we're at. You've, you've got to know where you're at. And I'm, I'm confident the Spurs internally know where they're at, even if fans like me occasionally get, as you say, too too high <laughs> or too low, um, depending on different... Uh, or, you know, different results through the regular season. We might move on to... The, we'll move on to that Golden State question, Daz, because I think that's an interesting one. Um and it's one I'll take. So your sort of your question around Golden State was, is this fun for the for the fans' point of view, and and is it fun still for players' point of view? And I would argue it is this season, and this is why I love the Boogie Cousins signing for Golden State so much because I just think it gives them something different. I mean, have you watched Golden State since Boogie came in? So it's yeah. a it's a different feel now, Daz. Light I mean, and lively, they're back. Yep. Until Durant, yep. you, you see the Durant ISOs and the, <laughs> the whole thing just comes to a grinding halt. But outside, what they did to the Spurs, and admittedly a, a Spurs team that was very, very um, you know, hobbled by, they, they rested DeMar DeRose and they rested LaMarcus Aldridge in that particular game. But Golden State just showed no mercy whatsoever. And the passing of the, the ball movement, does and their activity on defence was just outstanding. And I think you've got to tip your hat when a team sues your week and then they still bring their, their A game, which they did. And I watched them a few other times. I mean, even the game they lost against Portland uh, the other day, like the, they, were, they, they just missed a few open shots in that game. And, and you know, Jake Lehman, of all players, got hot for Portland. And that was sort of the, the difference between uh, that game at the end of the day. But... Even in that game, you, the ball movement that Boogie Cousins brings, and this is what this was the underrated aspect that I didn't, I guess, expect. I thought it would energise the players because now we've got someone else to integrate, we've got something else to play for. But I, I didn't view Boogie, I guess, and he just hasn't been surrounded by the talent where we've seen the passing as much. But his passing has been just outstanding. He fits in perfectly, doesn't he? Oh, it's been seamless, really. Yeah, so until they, I guess they get into a, a situation where they need a, you know, rim protector or they need to switch up everything, I guess it's possible, right? But they, I guess if they get in a really, really tough, I don't know, is it, is it, is it Houston who, if Chris Paul finds the fountain of youth and, and gets all of his ligaments reattached, but I go, I, it's hard to find. I go, maybe it's, maybe it's Denver. Maybe it's the only team who, at optimum performance, can run Boogie off the floor. But he's terrific. He's a terrific, terrific fit. 
because he can shoot, he can keep the ball moving, get those beautiful touch passes, he can run stuff from the elbow, run stuff from the, you know, from the Well, his shooting hasn't post. been that great. Like, his three throws uh, have been poor since coming back. I don't know what the percentage it is. I'd, I'd have to look it up, but it hasn't been great. Uh, and, you know, the, the shot's just not quite there yet, which I guess you expect that with his, his uh, feet not quite under him. Uh, at this point, but as I say, it's it's the passing and the fact that he fits so well and so perfectly into this offense. I mean, it is it is flowing now as well as it was in the seventy three win season, and I think as well as it has since then, as as much success as they've had, I think this is the highest level of basketball they're playing in from a regular season point of view since uh, since Kevin Durant joined the team. We no. might. Let's look though, Des, at the at the wider implication, or the wider picture of the of the Western Conference, um, and we might look at, and, and I might leave Sacramento out of it, just from the point of view we've talked about Sacramento a lot, uh, in terms, and they're clearly the surprise team of, of the NBA this season. I don't think there's any question about that. Not we only, both had them preseason number fifteen. That's even right. Even so Phoenix, not only yep. from a win loss point of view, but I think just from an entertainment point of view. I mean, they went from. The, the least watchable team in the NBA to the most watchable team in a year. So that, that's been the amazing part for that. And, and obviously, you know, Phoenix are the dumpster fire that we expected down the bottom there. But if we look at teams that we might be the, the most disappointing team, the most surprising team, and, and disappointing, surprising players, I mean, start. Well, where do you want to start? I mean, do you want to look at the most disappointing, most surprising outside yeah. of um, Sacramento for you? Well, it's, we talked about it last week um, quite vociferously through the lens of the East, where 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 you you like you still use the label drama. I use the label stakes, right? And maybe those are just two sides of the same coin. When I look at the West, right, I still don't see much at stake for the teams, for the franchises, for their future, for for their superstars, for their fan bases, right? So. There, there just isn't. Now, I'll dig dip, dig deeper though, because right there's 15 teams here, right? So look, let's. The season is going to begin and probably is going to end with the, the fever pitch story being the Los Angeles Lakers, right? And what's happening in what's happening in LA? I would argue it starts to deserve the. Choo choo. I mean, we're we're going to start the chugga chugga, right? They have, um, as I've said before, they've got three camps. The three camps are not aligned. They're um, the young, quote, super valuable um, players aren't super valuable and or coveted. And the team is being fractured. And they had a bunch of clowns join the team. And now, guess what? They're not winning games. And LeBron's playing 43 minutes a night, losing to Atlanta. So, right, so long as LeBron James is in the league, we're going to talk about, think about, and be influenced by the way his teams are courting players and or performing and or you know scooping up players from the buyout market and influencing um, player movement so so for me the Los Angeles Lakers though my, my preseason prediction right I said they would be maximum maximum drama I had them pegged right to finish number eight solely for the, the logic that that would pr- provide the greatest potential drama against a you know a golden state sort of matchup so i if I had put, had to put money on it today, Daz, I probably would have them. Gosh, I still have them making the playoffs. I can't, I can't bet against LeBron until he fails. So, but I think under under any circumstances, has this played 
I know there was a little tiny section of our thought process going, gosh, I think I might even have said it, right? Might might LeBron just kind of write the season off and just kind of use it as a transition year and, you know, use it as a way to, you know, purge it from its coach and purge it from its, you know, from its history of its previous, you know, the pre-Magic and Palenka sort of players and just use it as a write-off. And then, I, then they started off the season going gangbusters. I'm like, no, they're going to go for it. And then he, quote, gets injured and Ingram sucks and balls hurt again and, Kuzma, you know, plays, you know, he basically plays half the game, um, plays on one side of the court, not the other, and I kind of go, boy, boy, howdy, has this not turned out the way that they probably thought even their, you know, medium scenarios, let alone, po- you know, best-case scenarios well, played I think out. So we both that's picked me, the, the yeah. LeBron taking a break in mid-season. Uh, yeah. He did that in his first season back in Cleveland. He did it this year as well. Uh, the results were pretty much the same in both that they lost a lot of games. Um, I think coming out of the All-Star break is critical for the Lakers if they want to make the plus. So they've got a, a reasonably uh, winnable games on their schedule. So they've, they've got the, the Rockets. Uh, they're at, at Houston, home against the Grizzlies, at Milwaukee, home and home against the Pelicans and uh, home against the Suns. So that's a six-game stretch where I think they could easily go four and two, maybe even go five and one if they can pick up one of those, the Houston or Milwaukee game um, within that run. So if they can come out of the blocks and do well there and sort of stick their nose back above 500, I think the Clippers will fall away as the season goes on. And I'm, as much as I've loved what Sacramento's done, I'm not convinced they can maintain that level either, a young team making their first play run. There's a little bit of a feeling about of, of this um, the Kings like that Dragic, Bledsoe, yeah. Suns team of a few years back that fell agonisingly short of the playoffs. Hopefully this team uh, kicks on a little bit better than that team did. So I still I agree with you. I still think there's a lot of people saying oh, I think the Lakers will miss the playoffs. I, I can't believe that. But if they come out of that in that first six games and can somehow go two and four, and they have lost to Atlanta in it, and, and that wasn't a close game when a game where LeBron played 43 minutes, then you start saying, well, where's the panic button? Because it needs to be pressed. We we are all kidding ourselves. I think I don't know where you sit in this. I know you, you are not a LeBron fan to say the least, but. But as I find myself, I know again, just part of the you're not a LeBron fan, part of it the, you know the Boston Celtics. But I found, I found, I think I have to go fewer games as exciting and as fun, you know, as that as that game, you know, Lakers in Boston, right, <laughs> where they wanted the last second shot. And I go, there's something about them, Daz, right, where it was in December and they were, you know, the you know the, the 130 to 126 in regulation, you know, victories against you know against spirited portland teams there's there's something fun there's something magnetic about it when they're playing the way they play because i guess they're guess they're maybe not playing lebron style so just from a pure basketball put lebron and every you know every you know piece of overarching narrative and, and and sort of subterfuge with rich paul put that aside just look at the basketball which you were trying to take me to last week and i go there's something alluring about the way they play, right? If they get up and down the court and and, and can play, so I'm, I guess I'm from a basketball perspective, hoping they kind of write the shit. Well, but. the interesting thing is when LeBron was out, even though their record wasn't good, their defense was very good. And then LeBron yeah. comes back and their defense falls to pieces. Yeah, so they've got to try and find a way. And part of that is LeBron couldn't give a sh- 
rat's ass about defense anymore. But uh, there, there must be something deeper than that as well um, yeah. to why this team sort of does fall apart when he comes back in. Yeah. I wax and wane on LeBron. I mean, it would, Three weeks ago, I was saying, you know, we need to appreciate him more, and, and he does things on the court, and you just go, wow, like this, you know, we, we need to appreciate we're watching, if not the greatest of all time, certainly a guy that's in the top two or three in that conversation. Um, so you've, you've got to appreciate that, and the, the off-court stuff does does annoy you from time to time, um, as does even some of the stuff he does on the court can, can annoy me. But I, I take your point. I, mean, I, I sort of was half watching that Boston-LA game, and I was sort of watching it, and I was sending you the messages saying, here's the latest train wreck. Like, mm. Lakers were down 17 in the second quarter, playing terrible, looking completely miserable. And then they just come out and just they caught fire. Yeah. In the, and KCP, of all players, just could not miss in the third quarter. And, I mean, it was totally, you know, I think they ended up shooting like 25 or 31 or something ridiculous from the three-point line uh, across the game. But... Yeah, just something about it. For the game, and I, I just thought, yeah. and I said to you halfway through the sort of fourth quarter, I said, "This is just such a LeBron win. As soon as you write this guy off and say that's it, they're done, it's over. He's he's totally ruined this franchise. There's such drama. They'll come out and pull him like that. That's out. it against that's the it, team Des. that had you, been you playing just said it. some of the best basketball in the NBA. And that's NBA. and that's why I started there, and that's where we'll end." That's why we'll, we, we, you know, whenever he does finally hang up his boots, is that um, of all the things that LeBron has done in his career and the, the disappointing stuff with, you know, the Bobby Suras and Zadrunas Ogalskis and Mo Williamses to the awfulness of to the fan base to the, I think, did anyone like LeBron outside of Miami fans? In Miami, no. No one wanted that mercenary team. Right, turned me into a fucking Spurs fan, Daz. Right, so, but um, I, I tell you what, though, of, of the of all the NBA I've seen in the whatever pick, pick your time horizon, perhaps aside from that Spurs, um, um, virtuoso, the the basketball I'll remember the most is what LeBron did to Toronto by himself, and then in Game One before the JR, the JR Smith, I still I believe, and that's what I'm trying to remind myself, and probably need to go back and watch the clips where I'm pretty confident in saying that might be the best NBA basketball I have ever seen in my lifetime, right? That includes Jordan against Byron Russell and Brian Russell and, and, and um, Stockton and Malone. It includes, you know, peak, 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 you know, Larry Bird and Magic. That's, again, I probably need to go back to the Wayback Machine to refresh it, but I cannot remember well, basketball I... being played at the highest level. I get, get tiny glimpses. You get tiny glimpses of it this year. Like just as you said, there's there's something magical about when a player that good can start doing things and make Kuzma and Svi and the rest of these guys, you know, just lift everyone around him. Unlike the beard, <laughs> who doesn't lift anything well, other than just... his arms. To, Final thing on the problem, the, like, the three moments I'll remember, uh, even beyond the Toronto game, I remember back when he won his first title in Miami and they went into Boston down 3-2 in the in the conference finals. I might have been in the conference semifinals. And uh, and everyone thought, well, this is it. Miami's going to choke again. Boston's got their number, etc. He went into Boston and I've never seen a performance like it, Daz. We've just... A guy mm. that was just... 
just laser focused. I forgot about that one. Absolutely laser focused. Could not miss a shot and just dominate a very good Boston team. A very good Boston Celtics team and just shut the crowd up within two minutes of the game. The crowd who were raucous and they were just like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, you go and watch the YouTube footage of it. It is stark. It's the quietest. And Bill Simmons wrote about the game afterwards. He was there. Was it the last year of Garnett and it was, was that before uh, the trade? No, I think they made the trade the year after that. Um, well, it could have been the last. Actually, it probably was because, yeah, because that Nets team had a couple of cracks at, yeah. at the Heat. Um, so that, that, that was when he just shut that team up. The other thing I remember is game six. And everyone talks about the Ray Allen shot, uh, Spurs-Miami game six. What they don't talk about is LeBron taking over that game in the fourth quarter when the Spurs went into the fourth quarter up by 10. Um, and LeBron just, uh, same thing, just put the game phase on um, and uh, just took the game over. And, of course, the Spurs sort of come back and look like they were going to pull out an unlikely victory and then we know what happened from there. Yeah, we do. The the third thing I'll remember, this is one thing I'll never forget because, and I may have shared this story before on the pod, I'm not sure, but I remember my wife, who is not an NBA fan, doesn't watch any basketball at all other than sort of, you know, over my shoulder occasionally. Anyway, she sat down during the 2013 finals, game seven, to watch the game with me. It was getting towards the end of the game. LeBron comes down, drills a three, right in Kawhi's face. Kawhi comes down, <laughs> LeBron steals the ball off Kawhi. Or it might not have even been Kawhi, but I'm pretty sure it was Kawhi. And then he comes down and drains another three. Now, this is all in the space <laughs> of about 30 seconds. And my wife just looks at me, and I've got my Spurs jersey on, and she goes, you're not beating that guy. <laughs> and then just walked out of the Bless room. Bless her. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you say that? And then, of course, uh, they ended up winning Game 7. And LeBron I think it's also what Masai Ujiri said to Dwayne Casey. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you're not beating that guy. You're not... <laughs> That's why he, part of me wishes he had a stayed in the Eastern Conference just one more year just to see. Could, could he have done 10 finals in a row um, in the Eastern yeah. Conference finals? So, But anyway, so they're, they're the main memories I, I will have of LeBron, even despite what he... Because there was an air of inevitability of him doing it the last, last couple of years. But yeah. I remember... When I, you know, when you get the respect for the guy when he does it on the way up and winning those first couple of titles in Miami, not to mention the block on Iguodala when they won the, you know, beat the seventy-three win Golden State Warriors, etc. So, um, yeah. look, so the biggest uh, surprise team for me is actually been Denver. Does I Denver is, is outside looking into the playoffs. Uh, I wasn't convinced on this team at all. And I think it's a credit to what Mike Malone's done, the fact that they've had so many injuries. And really, Jokic has been the only guy that's been a constant on the court. Everyone else has missed some time due to injury here or there. Um, it's been quite amazing. You know, the the games that they're winning, I'm not convinced they're going to continue it in the playoffs. It's one of the reasons I'm interested to see what they do once they get to the playoffs. But due, they're building a nice foundation, does for years to come. And they're young, right? And they're, yeah, I just, I wonder if they'll ever play enough defense and if they'll ever get enough, um, I guess, out of the, just the four position, you know, like with the, the aging Millsap stuff. But, but yeah, I had Denver as basically as number six, I guess, preseason. <clears throat> so definitely underrated them. 
So they actually played a lot better defense than I probably thought they would, but still, that's still a place where they're going to need to, they're going to need to fortify it to get serious if they wanted to, unless pretend they could have, could take Golden State to six or seven games. You, you're going to need to have a meteoric rise on defensive end. They have plenty of firepower, and they've proven you know this exceptional bench unit they have with you know the last Monty Morris and um, and Malik Beasley's you know rise from the ashes again. They have a lot, a lot of punch. That seems to be their mo. They can just kind of score from every direction. So kudos to um, to Malone there, getting that team to be you know, a little more balanced. And yeah, I guess Jokic is you know having a terrific season. But there's just something. What is it, Daz? I don't know. Maybe it's what you know. Casual fans who don't watch Milwaukee get a similar thing where you just don't take them seriously yet. And um, well, you've got to see I, it. You've got to see it. And then I think. This yeah. is a team that hasn't even been in the playoffs. I mean, at least Milwaukee, yeah. they went in the seven-game playoff series last year. So at least they've got a little bit of playoff chops, whereas Denver have none. So to see them, if they come up against a, yeah. a more seasoned opponent um, in that first round, uh, things could get pretty hairy for them. And yeah, they could, they're an offensive first team. And if, they could be the Portland of 2018, right, who got swarmed and swamped and overwhelmed and swept by by a, a, a New Orleans team last year. I guess that's, that's the feeling you get a little bit, isn't it, right? Where they're, you know, again, their point differential is only like, you know, fifth or sixth best in the league. So they're not exactly like steamrolling it either, but there's um, plenty of reason to love them long-term though. So I go, if, again, if they if Kevin Durant leaves, um, all bets are off. Like, you know, if they can get a, you know, if they can tweak some things, I, I think their, their long-term future is probably better than their short-term future. But, um, what about yeah, they're, um, well, they're definitely they're definitely what about OKC? Does I mean are they to me their team that I think are the, if you could say to me one team is going to push Golden State in the playoffs, that's probably the team I'd highlight just because I think they can make life uncomfortable for Golden State defensively, and if they can get enough out of Paul George and some of the other guys there, including obviously Westbrook. Uh, but if Schroeder can have a game or two where he he scores, um, some you know, puts up some nice numbers. If Ferguson's hitting an outside shot, I could just see them hanging around. And if they can hang it, hang around in the game, make it close, and give Golden State a, you know, a few close games to worry about, then maybe you know things get a little bit uncomfortable. I love how they've played, Daz. Right, this was my. Uh, they were unquestionably that was probably my one most confident pick. You know, I was even waffling, you know, would Golden State scale it back so much they wouldn't even get the one seed, right? And thinking that, you know, will Houston be able to bring it back and just, you know, use revenge as a factor, you know, which we still might see. So I, I was, but I was really confident there was a gap between OKC and, you know, this is my undervaluing Denver at the time. So a gap in OKC and then the rest of the of the West and you know, I think my question was, you know, how, you know, can Donovan get the best out of a team who's potentially the number one defense in the league? And, um, yeah, look, obviously Paul George has made a name for himself. He's absolutely catapulted himself into the MVP race. And, you know, smarter people than I who've got more time to pull the data together basically said, look, over the past, what, 30 games, he's basically playing. He actually has become Kevin Durant, where you're talking PER, efficiency, usage, um, true shooting percentage, you name it, uh, three-point field goal percentage, just sort of raw shooting, he's become that player. And as whilst at the same time as Russ's raw numbers, like his shooting percentage we've talked about, is, has plummeted, 
Russ is still, right, this irresistible force that bends defenses. He demands attention. He finds creases. He never stops breathing fire, even when he's, you know, four for 20. He never stops. And that's why someone like Paul George, who can shoot off the, you know, off the catch and shoot in the mid-range is just so, he's just taking advantage of it. So they've been, Paul George has been sensational, and I think rightfully, you know, cemented himself in that sort of top three, top four MVP conversation. And look, again, I just just think about seven games, though, and you go, boy, you'd, you'd really need Clay Thompson to shoot like he did in November for all seven games. Right? You'd need something to really go wrong, to want me to squint to believe that they could get enough offensive punch as. So I love how they've played. I love that Russ has actually adapted his game, playing more off ball. His usage has dropped. Um, albeit his percentages have dropped, but he's he's playing better. So kudos to OKC. Kudos for them for being able to keep Paul George. Kudos to having the slam dunk champion. You know, um, I hope Steve Adams rests that freaking bulky angle of his so he's 100% in, in March and April. But can they beat? I did give them a puncher's chance against Golden State. I don't know. Do you? Well, they're the only... I think you can in the sense that you look back on Houston last year and what was the what was the key to success? Well, they had two elite guys offensively. It was Paul and uh, James Harden, right? And Harden didn't even have a good offensive series, actually, if you look at the, the numbers. Very good defensively, one through five. Could play, you know, could switch on everyone um, and had just... Yeah, only had you know Harden, not the greatest defender, but Chris the Paul game was great. Right? Yes, Chris Paul was fucking sensational. You and I, we were talking about it, and everyone's talked about it. Why the hamstring became so important? If Chris Paul was kind of oh, he was in the, the best background. Player. He was the leader, man. He would mm. take control and set the tempo, and he was barking and communicating and leading and, and nailing big shots and puncturing the defense and you know jockeying up on on Steph. Steph's that was forcing Katie to do the stuff when they were losing games three and game four, and Katie's shooting 20-footers playing hero ball. And, you know, Katie, you know all started with, with Chris Paul. He was the leader of that team, and I just I find it so unlikely that someone in Denver, it's just not possible. They have nobody who's got that temperament or experience yeah, I'm saying the, okay, so the brain. Not, not then. Sorry, that's, I meant I meant OKC, that's right. <laughs> but Russ, Russ, Russ just doesn't have that. But you, went, you talked about that game, Spurs-OKC, which went uh, double overtime. Yeah. Yep. That's the game Donovan needs to show Westbrook and say, that's how we yeah. need you to play yeah. against yeah. Golden State. And what's the one team in the league that's going to get in Kevin Durant's head if, we get, if a series gets close? And he's going to go... I've, I have to take over this series. I hear you. I, I hear you. And I, I just, can, I just, you don't I, need four you know, stars okay. Okay. necessarily yeah. to beat Golden State. You might only need two offensively. You need five stars defensively. And I think this is where you look at it from Ferguson, Jer- um, yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy Grant, yeah. uh, Stephen Adams. Yeah. Westbrook can play defense, play much better defense. He's probably the harden of the defensive emo, where he's probably not as good a defense. I don't know. I, I sort of think Russ locked in. Oh, he's much he's better than Harden, but I'm saying he's still probably the weak link for the yeah, link of the defensive. Yeah, team. that's probably fair. That's right. probably fair. And Paul George has just been outstanding. Like he's been Kawhi Leonard level defense. Um, 
you know, all season. He's and then, legit. Even the guys yeah. coming off the bench um, yeah. have been, you know, really solid defensively all year. Well, uh, what did you think? And it's, again, he's going to be the ninth man. I think he could be if motivated. Uh, Markeith Morris is a nice addition. Well, if they give him some time Dennis, and say, look, yeah. get yourself right body, body-wise, bring him back 15 games to go and then see if he's got anything left in the tank. And then if he's giving you 15, 20 minutes... It's not exactly old. I mean, he's got he's a old, but he's had... Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, I think from just for this season I'm talking about. Because yeah. sometimes he might... If he was staying in Washington, they would shut him down for the whole season and said, come back next season and see how you are. So well, he's got, talking from a career he's got wizard. He's got wizard fever. They need to put him in quarantine, <laughs> strip his skin off, let it regrow, <laughs> do a heart transplant, do a blood transfusion, you know, de Grunfeldy in his, his, you know, entire genetic code, and he might be okay. <laughs> but he's a guy that's going to ball, and he's a guy that's going to get under their skin, make life uncomfortable. He's nasty. Make that's life he's nasty. That's right. That's what, yeah. he's, he's really their PJ Tucker, in a sense. He defends Kevin Durant while Paul George rests. That's right. right. That's that's why they got so him. So that's that's the theory. He's at least so long and rangy, and he at least gets in his way. Yep. The theory of that's them right. at their best, um, and don't forget, this is a team that's given Golden State problems. They gave him problems last year, right? In albeit in the regular season, we didn't see it in the playoffs, and obviously, famously gave the seventy three win team uh, a hell of a lot of problems uh, yeah. before before Durant well, made his, yeah. his decision. So, you know. Th- this is a team that I think, if you were honestly saying the go and say, who's the one team you, you've got an inkling that might give you a bit of a run in the West, it'd be OKC. Um, so I'm going to bring you around, right? So you go, not really anything at stake because all the coaches and players and GMs and everyone's going to be back next year. But drama? Now, you got my attention, Daz. Like, you will trump any Philadelphia-Boston drama if you told me that Oklahoma City is firing all, some, all cylinders uh, Adams is 100% on his ankle. Paul George is peak Paul George. Markeith is blended in, and and you've got the the anger, vitriol, hatred, revenge, right? Of Russ versus KD. Mm-hmm. You've just trumped. Now you've got you know you have um, potentially some stakes and some drama. Where I go, it doesn't matter what happens in the East. That actually might be the, the series of the year. So I think that's uh, even more so than the Lakers and optimized Lakers teams. They're just never have, they're never going to have the talent. They're just not. I mean, as much as we believe LeBron, I think LeBron's drama is going to be coming. You know, at best, it's going to be coming round two. Most likely, LeBron can cause extreme drama in round one. But I think if you're talking West Coast Finals, West Coast Western Conference Finals, drinking West Coast IPA, it's got West <laughs> West Coast on my mind. But are you with me there? Like, you just reminded me, you're right. Russ versus KD, imagine that, that anger. And I just love, love to see, I just, my dream scenario is LeBron joins Wes in fucking nut punching KD. And we got to, we're all, we're all confused about what's, what's happening. But uh, no, honestly, imagine those crowds, the history, the fan bases, the, you know, if OKC gets some confidence the way uh, Houston got last year, imagine them going up 2-1, you know, in a Western well, Conference Finals. Oh, four, my God. OKC, like you just, just got, I mean, you yeah. beat me. I honestly got to think that actually might give me more than a, <laughs> than a Bucks celtics <laughs> game for. Yeah, that's... um. So that's something... So anyway, great, so, great point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm secretly pulling for them. I've, I, I'm kind of, again, I think we've talked about before, just I find a re- I respect... Russ's Russ's temperament 
and Russ's intentions far more than I will respect Harden. And yes, he does stat chase, but I just I find his irresistibleness and his indefatigableness. I'm gonna make up long six syllable word as I just I I would love for them to do something crazy. That'd just be so much fun. Oh, it'd be great to say that. That's that's one of the things we're hoping for. I think in the in the Western Conference Finals is an OKC Golden State uh, Western Conference uh, Finals, uh, yeah. depending on how the first two rounds are. Quick couple of points on a couple of other teams. So Utah have sort of done their mirror of last season. They're looking much better um, after a rough start. I'm still not convinced. They've they've done nothing to convince me that they're necessarily better than last year. I mean, Mitchell's taken a bit of a step back from a an efficiency point of view. They didn't trade Rubio uh, no, at the deadline no. because partly because they I just I'm think they thought I'm out. Yeah, we're, we're not gonna, Conley's not putting us over the top and we don't want to upset Mitchell and upset the Apple Cup. I think there's a team that might make a few moves here or there in the offseason and if Durant leaves Golden State Utah sort of come into that mix of a of a quasi contender, if you like, just below what we probably think the top teams will be. But if Mitchell can take another step, and I think he's probably taken a half step back oh. this year, but if he can take a step up from where he did in his rookie year, then obviously that should be the fair. I'm going to state the bleedingly obvious: they they need Gordon Hayward pre ankle injury. That would actually make this team really, really fucking interesting if they had the two-way Hayward who was well, you know, exactly. averaging, say, 20, 25 and 5, right? Exactly right. So I kind of go, that's that's what this team is missing. And so that's why I'm actually okay with them missing out on Mike Conley. I didn't think that's the difference maker. Mm-hmm. I think they need to be having Jay Crowder's minutes. And I love Joe Ingles, but Joe Ingles playing 32 minutes. He's only playing one minute less than Giannis Antetokounmpo is this year. Like Joe Ingles is an awesome player, but he needs to be at about 25. Jay Crowder needs to be about 15 or so. And you have feeling more of a role. They, they're missing that, like probably half the NBA. They're missing that key wing, the Gordon Hayward, the Chris Middleton, the Kawhi, that, that guy. Well, even so, the Tobias Harris, I would love to see. Tobias Harris, yeah, great. Tobias yes, Harris, exactly. Player, yeah, you know? so I'm... Um, so yeah, that's just. But I'd love for them to be patient, right? Though, because they've got such again great coaching, great culture. Um, you know, I, I, I think they'll be able to survive some of their UFAs. You know, Rubio has been a nice temper player, but Rubio is not going to lead you in a you know second round of an NBA. You know, other, no, other, I don't think Dante Exum. So the, they, I think they were hoping for more out of Dante Exum. Yeah, well, poor Exum hasn't gotten there. And but. he can't quite stay on the court even. And, and even when he's been on the court, he hasn't played yeah. at the level I think they're hoping at. Um, so might be the I, only I team where... I could see them around in the playoffs again, yeah. but, they're, but they're not a serious... Boy, um, you'd, need, you'd need Mitchell to be special, though, right? They just... Well, he was last rest. year, but... Yeah, you're yeah right. that's right. But are you, you're going to need you're gonna need super special. You'd need to be... Efficient on top of special, I guess. Yeah, and then you perhaps need Corver to go, you know, a bit, um, a bit nuclear from from down downtown or something, right? But yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah I guess it's squint and sort of see a first round upset, but you know, no one's no one's losing sleep over them this year. No. A team that was playing good basketball though, Daz, just before the break, and and has had an interesting addition is the Portland Trailblazers. Um, did you have you caught any of Jake Lehman, a guy coming off their bench? Um, <sighs> Because no. I've never even heard of this guy before. That's so I had no idea. I'm so you know, look. That's the team I'm probably most pissed. They've become like you know how Charlotte was for me last year. I got so sick and tired of trying to believe in their rotations. I'm just so I got so tired, right? Like my priests, and I just kind of like you know what? F them. I'm putting them number ten, 
Um, so no, Des, I'll be honest. I have, I've actually not watched any Portland at all for a while. And I, I think I told you offline, only partially joking. I thought they meant, you know, Myers Leonard. I don't even know who the fuck Jake Lehman is. Like I know generally, but no, like do, do tell what has Jake <laughs> Lehman been doing in the Pacific well, Northwest? He had a game against us and admittedly against the Spurs and <clears> he <throat> go, and he was you know, very, very good. <laughs> Against San Antonio, and I thought, but San Antonio, they're not playing. This is coming up party, was it? Yeah. But then he comes out against Golden State, and he's just in the fourth quarter, just draining shots left, right, and center. Now, he scored 17 points, which, you know, that's, that doesn't jump off the stat sheet. But for a guy off, a, off the bench that I think's been one of the worst, if not the worst, in the NBA, if they can get any sort of consistency out of a guy like that, um, and, and now they're adding in this cancer as well. Right. I just pulled up his game log, Des. Jesus Christ, you're right. He's, I remember him being, I thought he was like a, he reminded me of Steve Novak, who's like the, you know, the pretty white kid who grew up, you know, in the in the suburbs with the, you know, the, the glass backboard in his driveway, you know, <laughs> with the beautifully groomed yard and the, in the route in his front, in, in the estate of his, you know, you know, Eastern Maryland home. It's kind of always imagined as a pretty boy who could shoot the ball, but holy Christ. Well, he's been a plus yeah. mile on his champion. Since game, what are we looking at here? Good game on. thirty-two. I think since game. 32, well, his minutes per game has actually spiked as well since January. Basically, he's up to I'm playing 25, 30 minutes a night. Wow. Well, game right. thirty-two, the game forty-six. He's only been that's fifteen game sample size, so not massive, but not not totally insignificant either. He's been a, a plus in twelve of those games and a minus in three of them. Now, whatever weight you put on that. But there's been plenty of games where he's plus 15, plus 18, plus 21 against Golden State. And, you know, they're not, he's not just putting up empty stats. I remember sort of being out there. He's ridiculous uh, percentages from the field, hitting some threes, you know, 25 points against uh, Miami, 17, as I said, against uh, Golden State, 17 against OKC. Like, He's putting up some decent numbers, and it's and it kind of when you watch it, it's just he looks like a basketball, and you think it's totally sustainable. He looks more like Gordon Hayward does than Gordon Hayward looks like Gordon Hayward this season, um, in in this last fifteen games. So I think it's just something to watch um, from him, and I think if they can get something out of Cantor as well, so what, um, then I, they're, I'm, they're I'm a actually, bit more interesting I'm, to me. I'm so ignorant. Is he playing like a? It looks like he's playing like a stretchy four. So is he playing in place of like a Minu? Like, have you watched enough to kind of know how are they using him other than kind of, you know, the um, Mirza Toledovich gunner off the bench? Like, are they using him as a, like, is he playing with Dame and CJ? Like in a, well, he's Nurkic? More, or, he's or probably he... more in Ilya Sova if you were going to look at a, yeah, okay. a comp. For him at the moment. But he's not starting, is he? He's not starting, no. Coming off the bench. Okay. So he's part of the bench unit at the moment. Um, I couldn't give you enough else to say who, whose minutes he's taking, uh, but certainly it's an area of need for them, just to someone else other than the moon who can sort of stretch the floor a little bit. Um, and the moon who had been in a little bit of a slump himself uh, heading into Jan- or coming out of January. So um, it was just perfect but, timing for the But boys. the point about... But I guess maybe the point I'm, I'm taking from the Jake Lehman is that much of the way we described... Why I was so high on Toronto last year is you go, you could see a whole bunch of untapped 
upside in the roster, right? That's what we've thought for Portland for years, strapped with these god-awful, from Alan Crabb to Evan Turner and, and so on, just, just these awful contracts, but there's 0% chance they're going to get surplus value. And they go, maybe finally they've got a player who's going to you know, just exceed his contract value, right? And that's, that's just so desperately what they've been missing. So um, that's maybe he's like Siakam of, of Portland, basically. Is kind of what I'm taking away. Well, maybe the, that's right. Yeah. They, they, as I said, they just need someone. They need, you know, you, you need probably an eight man, eight to nine man rotation coming yeah. half time. Guys, you can you can be confident with. Um, what do you make of final point on Portland? What do you make of the Cantor Simon? Can you see that being? I think it's going to be a nice regular season. So I'm not. I think. It'll depend on matchups in the playoffs, how effective he'll be. I think he'll be very effective. Like if they did get the Spurs, for example, in the first round, I think that's that's a great matchup for Cantor. Whereas obviously, if they move the Golden State or Houston, that's going to be a very problematic matchup um, for Ennis Cantor. Yeah, unless he decides to play Nene if he's still on the roster. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a um, for a team that we just sort of talked about, right? Desperate for. Uh, options, right? They got wiped off the floor by New Orleans last year because all they had was Damon CG up top. And when they got choked by a very stifling, locked in, aggressive, trapping, you know, Rondo and Drew Holiday, etc., at the point of attack, they just completely fucking fell apart, right? They cut the head off the snake and had nothing. And so, from from that perspective, right? If you got myself, you, you start to convince me that that Jake Lehman becomes a reliable you know, scoring threat. In this same thread, they just need other options to put the basketball into the little hoop. Desk. So I go, that's where I kind of go. I'll talk myself into a, a nice bump in in productivity from a team perspective by having Ennis Cantor where, you know what, in those, in the, you know, when you need to rest or they're staggering Damon CJ and just can't afford to go in a funk when you have, right, fill in the blank, they couldn't name most of their bench players, and you just need buckets to keep a game ticking over. That's the value of Cantor. I'd even say in the playoffs to ask because he can afford a guy who's can you know can score points and get rebounds if he's on his game. He's shooting you know five for nine from the field and grabbing ten boards, so going ten and ten in twelve minutes. I think that's fine. Again, as long as it's not so egregiously you know a matador on defense. So I like it. I think it's a gives them an option. It gives them some little punch Daz and it gives them perhaps a, you know, five to ten per boost in that bench unit which which I think is important. So yeah, good mm-hmm. sort of low cost. Just the low just risk the team signing. to watch yeah. anyway, I think, coming out of the coming out of the uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah good on side, right? They're trying. They're they're trying. You gotta do something. Yeah, that's right. So but look Daz, there there are certain teams I think that uh, that we probably should avoid watching um, coming out of the the All Star break. And one team that definitely we don't want to be watching, and that's our train wreck, train wreck team of the week. So I'm just queuing up now my uh, my special. Is there only one train wreck team for this one? So that's the New Orleans Pelicans, Daz. The uh, oh. the team trains about to pull into the station, and all. Hang on, Demps has been thrown off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the New Orleans owner's throwing Del Demps off the train. He's gone. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. it, it's going to hit it the bedrock is. in a second, Des. I, I think it's going to hit the core of the earth. Yeah, so I would have, look, I would have never guessed, I'm honest with you, I would have never guessed that a team would have, would have outpaced Minnesota, Chicago, or Washington 
towards the bedrock of the train wreck. So the train is off the tracks. It's spiraling down at, you know, um, terminal velocity and creating, you know, body bags and destruction and headlines everywhere. But well done. Well done, New Orleans. You know, um, started with the um, the Saints robbery in the football game and the anger of the ownership through to the Rich Paulian Machiavellian play, which completely failed this this abysmal abyss of confusion and fake injuries. Anthony Davis is getting injuries nowadays. He faked an injury, left the court with Rich Paul. Rich Paul escorted him out of the state, out of the arena, Daz. Like this is their uh, this is their franchise player, the, oh, the franchise. Surely the fran- NBA has to step in now and say he's just not playing the rest. Of the for, I forget. I'm. I'm gonna, let's get that in a second. I go for me. Can you imagine the the hu- the humiliation, the indignation? Can you mad? Can I imagine? Right, Giannis Antetokounmpo well, faking an injury, leaving the game, and having some fucking dick swinging agent. Right, basically dragging him like on a leash out of the stadium. Well, could I like, imagine that as a Spurs fan? I just lived the whole season of it. You basically lived to see him. At least, at least Kawhi wasn't around. <laughs> right, I'm not going to ever give him any credit for well, quitting. That's fair enough. Honestly, no, that, I mean, but apparently because Del Demps didn't face the murder, he threw Alvin Gentry under the well out to face the media after the game. Um, that's what signed his death warrant. Um, the owner yeah. was just absolutely yeah. livid, rightfully so. Rightly. And, yeah. um, you know, she just said, you've got to take some responsibility. I think Del Demps probably, you know, if it wasn't then, it was going to be a week or two later anyway. So, Des, did you hear, before we go into where to from here with the train wreck and how do they rise from the, 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 well, they're going to get worse before they get better here. But did you hear Charles Barkley's comments about this? No, I didn't. Weekend? So I, uh, fill me in because I, I read a headline and then didn't read the story. So what, what you, you have to hear, so. you have to hear the whole quote. So try to log, try to find it. I'm not sure where you'll find the interview, but he basically went on uh, a bit of a, a bit of a rant and it, he made a lot of sense, dad. He, it's just so sobering where he says, um, he made two very, very succinct points. Is number one, you know, you know, the question was around, you know, what do you think about player empowerment and players taking control? You know, this is the, the come on, Chuck. This is the era of, you know, players, you know, taking the future into their own hands and making something. He goes, look, listen, get real. You tell me. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? So, but he basically said, right, the worker is always going to be the worker. The employee, the employee. The billionaire owner will always win 100% of the time. So where these guys thinking maybe for a minute, maybe for a decision, maybe they think they're getting off well, but the owner, the billionaire owner is always going to win. So I don't understand where these players suddenly think they actually have, quote, all the control. That is an absolute, I just don't understand it, and it's going to come back to, to bite them. Number two, he goes, and I think this is, this is actually number one, so I buried the lead here. He goes, number one, who works for who i make very very clear that my agent works for me not the other way around and what it appears to be happening in anthony davis's situation is that he works for his agent and he goes that is an absolute travesty where this man needs to stand up and and talk for himself and think for himself and act for himself and it so clearly looks like he's lost complete ability to manage his agent and just constantly reminding him you know what we can replace you but ain't nobody replacing me nobody can replace what i can do 
but there's a whole bunch of guys you can replace what you can do. And suddenly and sadly, that's he seems to have lost that ability. I thought that so there and there's well, more. Well, this is to that uh, story, this is his direct quote. Mm-hmm. This is yep. Barker's direct yep. quote. He's a great person, but when guys start living, like anybody works for me, I make sure they know they work for me. We don't work right. together. You work for me. You bet what I fucking say, or they're fired. So that's that's the way Chuck approaches it, uh, and probably that's the way LeBron approaches it. And guess what? Anthony Davis is now working for LeBron, whether he's on the Lakers or not. Yeah, that's right. So Rich Paul works for LeBron. So Rich Paul's doing his job, and shame, shame on Anthony Davis for not being as strong, anywhere near as strong as LeBron in asserting his whatever he believes. This is, again, kind of what's happened to Kawhi. Do we actually even know what Anthony Davis believes or what he wants? Because it's so hard to parse his true intentions from, you know, the wishes of, of the Rich Paul Clutch Sports camp that we're gonna we're left with. I'm kind of with Bill Simmons on this. And, when, and he occasionally has wise things to say, he's just got, which Bill, I think, said in his tweet, it was like, Anthony Davis... What are you doing? Like question mark, question mark. What are you doing? Like you were the super nice guy, superstar who had the world at his fingertips and was going to be this the most coveted, unrestricted dream. Like, what are you doing? You've just one ruined your reputation, two dragged your franchise into the abyss, three lost control of your life to your agent, four given all kinds of credit to the Los Angeles Rakers and power when you had no reason to do it, and perhaps have no reason to work there. It's like. What are you doing? Like, do you even have a plan? So he's kind of kawaii himself, hasn't he, Daz? He's just completely kawaii himself in a very different path. But that's what he's done. And so, yeah, true, true, strange, strange. They'll demonstrating seven first-round picks, right? Letting letting players like Trevor Ariza go so that he can pay Omar Asher to hold up the money. You know, he just made a cacophony of of dumb decisions. I love the Miritich trade, I'll be honest. This last trade was probably one of his finest. I thought Miritich was a terrific fit. And, you know, it was a lightning in the bottle in that series against Portland. I, I just loved how they played, pardon me, off each other, but... You know, so Look, I think one of the worst... Job, one of the so biggest mistakes terrible building yeah. was to allow Anthony Davis to tell them for years, I'm a power forward. And I have, and I only want to play power forward to get a center. And they wasted roster moves trying to pair a center up next to him, when he's a center does. And that's that's the way. He's, now it, it started to look like it could work with Boogie Cousins, but I mean Boogie Cousins is an elite center. Yeah. Omar Ashik is not an elite center. Robin Lopez, who they had before him, he's a nice yeah. player, but he's not an elite center. Like why are you bothering? <laughs> you, you know, Jahil Okafor is a perfect center to have behind him. Emil Emeka uh, Okafor was perfect last season. Just the guy that's going to play a standard eight to ten minutes a night, maybe more if you need more, um, and that's it. And and for the rest of the minutes, Anthony Davis is your centre, and that's where I think the big mistake they made trying to build this team around Anthony Davis, among others, and among other players like Solomon Hill, etc., that didn't work out for this team. Um, the big question now is, I guess, where to from here, and I the. The problem for New Orleans is they have no leverage now. So it's not like yeah. you can go to Boston and say, if you don't include Tatum, we're not even talking to you. And you know what? Because like, the Spurs were making, you know, for argument's sake, at the start of the year, the Spurs were telling everyone, look, if, if it comes down to it, we'll just bring Kawhi back this year and we'll play the year out and see how it unfolds. And whether that was a bluff or not, I think 
teams, you know, I certainly took it to seriously to some degree, um, whereas I think there's not a chance in hell that New Orleans now can't even come out and say that with a straight face. Like, there's no chance they're coming into next season. So, you know, the, if, if Boston come through mm-hmm. underwhelming offers, then the Lakers' offers start to fall. And then you've got other teams that were probably in the mix before the trade deadline this year that are no longer interested next year. So, you know, unless you get Boston and LA really going against each other, and maybe the Clippers sort of can throw something in there as well, um, it's hard to see, as good a player as he is and as great a player as he is, it's hard to see where the trademark's going to materialise from because I think Boston's going to play hardball on this as well because, of course, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to resign anywhere other than probably for the Lakers. I, I guess I see it. I see it differently. I think that um, I think what's going to happen is that we've got all kinds of unrestricted free agents this season, right? This this upcoming off season, and about a dozen teams are going to have lots happen. You know, when LeBron and Kemba and Kawhi and uh, Tobias Harris resigns, Jimmy Butler, stars are all gone. I go and the music stops. You're kind of going to go, okay, who's left, right? And so the team is on their unrestricted free agents. Like, who's left? And I, I just think there's going to be a Toronto-like team, the way Toronto came in, Davis probably ends up going for a single season, again, if it's not Boston. I don't know how he ends up in L.A. nowadays because those assets are those assets. And so imagine a really reasoned general manager comes in, whether it's Danny Ferry or they try to lure David Griffin, you know, to try and navigate through this crazy situation. I think there will be offers out there. Well, I mean, go to the Boston offer, though. If Boston say Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, and two picks, just for argument's sake, right? That's already better than anything the Lakers can offer. Do you agree with that? I mean, that, that's the way I'd see that deal. I, I, this is what I'm saying, I guess. I think Boston can land Anthony Davis if another team doesn't come in without having to throw Jason Tatum in. And it's that's a bit of a disaster like, you right, Moses were like Memphis is unprotected. It depends on oh, it'd have to be the so Memphis London pick. It wouldn't be like their the, pick. So let's say it's the Memphis pick and even the Sacramento pick in this draft. Memphis unprotected and, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's... But I, I think so, Jalen yeah, Brown's I'm, a better I mean, player like than Cameron anyone. Brown, but yeah. I, I think yeah. he's a better player than anyone on the Lakers at the moment, personally. I, again, I would, I, again as, as horrible as he is, I still would say Ingram's, even though the likelihood of ever hitting it is... I think Jalen Brown has a lower ceiling, but he's far more like a, you know, a, a rugged you know, contributing NBA player. So I, I just I just don't see Ingram getting there. So he's kind of turning into a Wiggins for me. But uh, Well, I'm a bit I think, I think the point is, I think from obviously experience. Davis will be traded. Yeah, for sure, right? So I go, what, but, but look, we will get traded. Um, they will get the most value back from one of the teams where he will either wink-wink and or, you know, be very sure that he will longer term because if you can get that commitment, you're going to get much more assets uh, in return. So therefore, the likelihood he goes to freaking Orlando, right? For, you know, for a year, like they're not going to send you Mo Bamba and Aaron Gordon 
and you know Markel Fultz in the first rounder for you know for him. They're just not going to do that because there's no way he's going to sign. So I, I think it's it's going to come down to that situation. Then again, this variable where depending on where the number one pick lands and the team who gets it, how motivated they are to win now. Um, with Zion, or sorry, with now with Anthony Davis, or kind of hope that Zion turns into something remotely being better than, you know, between Rod and Rogers and <laughs> Anthony Davis. Um, I guess that could be a variable as well. But look, he has to get traded. He will get traded. And it really, for me, depends on, I guess, what this, but will this general manager go for a, a package of picks? Right, like the you know the Brooklyn Nets package that they sent to Boston for you know for for Cade, you know KG and, and Ray Allen to go for a big 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 pick heavy package. Like if you got picks for five years, or are they going to go for a you know kind of young players plus a pick or two to try and keep you know keep them in purgatory, keep Drew Holiday happy enough, and keep keep fans coming. That's the, the freaking. Well, I think it's going to happen. It'll be the second. The, they. I think their their attendance is already in the tank. So if they're not going, if they're going to get a pick heavy package, they might as well start packing bags for for Seattle. So last question on this, Daz, before I let you go, Davis, you think he's played his last game for the franchise now, and it's totally untenable from here, surely. Came out again today, Daz, and said he wants to play. Healthy, all living the country. I think I think this is going to. He has a fake. He's a, bo- a shoulder contusion. That's not a fancy word for a bruise, right? I mean, he's injured. There's no con- – you see the play where he's allegedly got hurt and then just the ceremony of the injury. So well, he scored I have no three idea points that. the other day. Like, it's hurting your fantasy team. I know that much. Oh, yeah, I've written that team off. Right? <laughs> I've got my non-keepers I'm trying to liquidate for basically anything at this point. But, uh, um. I don't know, Das. It's going to come to a head. It's it's not going to be pretty, you know. I especially now with the with the turmoil and the general management. So it's like, who's going to make this call? Danny Ferry sounds like he's leaning in to make this decision about what what happens with AD. But and Silver has come out and said how corrosive this is, where teams are tanking and resting their stars, and he's completely missing the point on this stuff. He said nothing other than, "Oh, I wish these teams would keep their trade requests in house." It doesn't help the league at all. That has all the stuff becomes public. So I'm like, you fucking bullshitting me, Evan Silver. So he he's not helping matters yet either, Daz. So it's a bad situation. It'll get worse before it's better. Um, it feels like the best thing would be that he went away. So why doesn't he get one sound piece of advice that just says shut up and go away? You created this situation. You don't get to dictate it anymore. You're on contract. You're getting gigantic paychecks. You've completely destabilized this franchise, and so now you just can't control the shots anymore. I just I hate that he's done this, but that's kind of where I'm at with AD. Are you any different? Would you Would you want him to play? Would you give him a chance? Would you open your locker room? Do you want him around your players? No, like, I don't think would, you can have it. I mean, no. because he was a even when he played, like he had the first game where he scored 32, and then they sat him for the fourth quarter, and then. Yeah, the next two games, I think. Well, as I know, one game he had three points. The next game he's very passive as well. So it's just like, what? What is the point of him at this this stage? Um, so you either have a have a big meeting, and I guess you know, Elvin Gentry's got to have some sort of say on this, and you clear the air and say, look, 
you know, let, let's go balls out for the rest of the season um, and see what we can salvage out of this year and at least have some fun, give our fans something to cheer about. Or we just go, you know, AD sits and, um, you know, that, that's the end of the AD era and we'll trade him in the off-season. And I think the latter option is probably going to be better. But I can, I can, I can understand the competitiveness thing in some of the players too, where you say we've got one of the best players in the world and we're not going to play him. Like, let, let's see if we can make a bit of a run in this second half and maybe sneak into the playoffs and, and do what yeah. we did last year. So, I don't know. Look, I, I just think when he's doing things like that, that's totally untenable. Um, so, either you say, you say to him, look, you're either all in or you're not in. And I think New Orleans have to do that as well. None of this resting him in the fourth quarter either. Um, well, that's all say, because of Silver, basically the league force in the plan. So, I mean, they're... Well, they didn't that's want I mean. That's right. So, it's, it's that's right. something's got to give here. And you, the, the situation we saw for a few games before the playoffs, oh, sorry, before the All-Star game, um, just cannot continue. It's not good for the league, it's not good for the Pelicans, it's not good for Anthony Davis, it's not good for LeBron, it's not good for anyone um, to see this. So um, let, let's hope that Sainer uh, heads prevailed as, um, as as this drags on. So, Well, because, he's, he's, he's back in the highlight video, Daz. Yeah, right at the end of it, apparently. Right at the end. <laughs> so that, that's, the, yeah. that's the big story. All right, Daz, we'll, we'll leave it there. I'm sure there may do drama. Um, as we go on, we'll try and do this again next week, um, and we'll sort of then we're going to get ready for the the March, uh, the sort of uh, March Madness yeah. run, and that's that's the dog days of the NBA anyway, does so. He, I, I know every year from this, the March games are just a real slog, but it's actually an interesting opportunity, I think, for teams like Portland and Sacramento, etc. To and, and we're seeing it with Orlando and the Eastern Conference too. If teams can give you a bit of a run during this period when teams are sort of sleepwalking through their schedule, I think you can pick up a few cheap wins. And certainly we've seen it with yeah. Orlando in the East. They're a team to keep an eye on that could make a, a sneaky run into the plus. I don't think they're going to do anything once they get there. But uh, given how bad that franchise has been, I think any any progress is a positive sign. So they're, they're another team I'm just saying to just keep a half an eye on. Well, yeah, look, there was enough churn at the trade deadline and the, and the buyout where it kind of go... We just sort of recap it. OKC has got Morris to kind of integrate, and they want to try and move up in the in the conference. Houston's trying to get Chris Paul back and Mike at Capella back here at some point. So can they actually, you know, relieve Harden's burden and, and kind of jockey? And then you got, you know, the whole blob in the middle of the West and right, and you got the quote the arms race going on in the East. I think everyone probably wants as much home court as possible, and probably to avoid. I think everyone wants to avoid the four or five since there's basically a five team. Conference. I think it probably conventional wisdom says Indiana is going to be, you know, probably the high seed, which is not, you know, not your easiest first round matchup. You get Indiana versus Detroit or Indiana versus Charlotte. It's kind of a absolutely something to avoid. So you got a bit of that going on, and then obviously all the changes in Philly and Boston trying to figure it out. So there'll be enough. I think that the jockeying for position in these teams who've made big trades like Toronto and Philly, I think that'd be kind of the fun bits to watch to see if they can kind of integrate their integrate the Gasols and the Harrises. So you're right, dog days, and there'll be, there'll be tank versus tank, plenty of nights, right? There'll be plenty yeah. of right Memphis versus Orlando games, um, or Memphis versus, not fair to Orlando, Memphis versus Knicks sorts of stuff. But um, there'll be at least some jockeying going on this year anyway. So Yeah, so last we'll guy I can though too, Jeremy Lin signed in Toronto. So just the... That's that's a nice oh, addition yeah, to their bench, right. given they lost a little bit of uh, depth in, in the Marcus Hull trade. So um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd no, love to see. He's no worse uh, than 
he's no worse than DeLon Wright. So you kind of see the logic in that trade when they go, yeah, we probably replace DeLon Wright's production with a buyout yep. candidate. So that's, right. that's not a, that's not a bad, that's not a bad deal for them. Obviously he's more offense than defense, but yeah. Um, but there you go. So yeah, it's okay. Good on them. Good on okay. Them. All right, mate. Good to talk to you again. We'll uh, we'll leave it there, and we'll we'll see where we're at next week, and uh, what what sort of fascinating storylines might present themselves again between now and then. Yeah, we'll see what's any trains fall off the tracks. Maybe some news <laughs> from Washington. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> see you, buddy. All right, mate. Talk to you. Bye. Bye.